1: Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom
2: Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and we've got, uh, we've got a fun one uh, for you today, getting things started. Uh-oh, got a little short in my microphone. Um, anyway, I think, we, uh, I think we got that fixed, but um, we got a great show. Coming up in the third half, <coughs> excuse me of our three-hour tour, um, we're going to talk with uh, a uh, long-time U.S. diplomat um, in Riyadh who has recently written a book called Vision or Mirage, Saudi Arabia at the Crossroads. And um, that's uh, written by uh, David Rundell, and he'll uh, be joining me. As I mentioned, during the third half of our three-hour tour, coming up in the middle, the second hour, we have, um, this is uh, kind of interesting, Robert uh, Dielen Schneider will be back again, but with a new book that uh, just came out called Nailing It, interesting look at history, how history's awesome 20-somethings got it together. And then... Um, I'll introduce our uh, first guest in in just a moment, but I wanted to share something with you very quickly before we get things rolling. Um, A little catch-up, if you will. Um, Anybody that listens to my show on a regular basis knows that I often say some really dumb things. And um, so it was no surprise when, over the holidays, I got a gift from my sister that was a calendar with dumb things that have been said or appeared on signs quotes uh, and so on at first when I first opened it I thought she'd been collecting mine but I thought it might be fun to share a couple of these at the top of the show every day and if for no other reason than to defend my honor that there are in fact other people out there saying dumb things and and here's a few because uh, it's uh, what the uh, fourth today so I'm, I'm a little late getting started. Here's one uh, that was from January 1st. And it's the opening narration from Plan 9 from Outer Space, a 1959 sci-fi movie considered to be one of the worst movies ever made. And they opened with, Greetings, my friends. We are all interested in the future because that's where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. Thanks, Captain Obvious. Um, January 2nd. Now, this is fun. um, An NFL team owner at a January 2nd press conference opened up by saying, First off, Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Kind of a dumb thing. And uh, here's one I didn't get to yesterday. Uh, This was actually from a sign in an apartment building in Lancaster, UK. It says, notice to occupants of flats, please walk on the right-hand side of the stairs going up and walk on the left-hand side of the stairs coming down. Thank you. (laughs) And then finally, today's is uh, from Gwyneth Paltrow's book curator. She said this in an interview. The thing about books is that you can only read one book at a time. Yes, you can be reading five books, but not literally all at once. <laughs> anyway, we'll, we'll have one of those every day just so I don't feel so all by myself when I say dumb things on the air. But uh, we're going to start out, we're going we're to raise the standard of conversation here with, uh, with my first guest this morning, who joins me by phone, is the author of a memoir called Uprooted. Family Trauma, Unknown Origins, and the Secretive History of Artificial Insemination. And uh, that's scheduled to be in bookstores starting today. And um, the uh, author of the book is uh, uh, Peter Bonney, and he joins me by phone. Hi, Peter. Welcome to the show.
3: Hi. Thanks for having me, Tom. I appreciate the front end of uh, dumb things to introduce me. (laughs) <laughs>
2: well first of all i'm 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 sorry to put you through all that and second of all, sorry to make you follow that because uh we're certainly um, there have been some really nice things said about uh about the book um I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but that makes me even more curious about what the book is all about I don't know that we've ever talked about this subject on uh, on this show before Peter but tell me about artificial insemination and and how that's um, this is gonna sound like a real dumb question so I'm I'm starting right out fulfilling my own prophecy but um, the difference between artificial insemination and test tube babies we We hear about these things, but we really don't know very much about either one.
3: Well, when it first started, that was the euphemism that they used, the test tube baby. Uh, It was basically the introduction of sperm into an egg to create an embryo. That's what it is today.
2: So, uh, the idea of a test tube baby um, is really... Uh, what artificial insemination is all about. Exactly.
3: Now, exactly. In the old days, IVF and and test 2 baby were interchangeable.
2: Now, Peter, um, this is a memoir about artificial insemination. And am I reading too much into this to think that you are a person who is the result of artificial insemination?
3: No, you're not reading anything into it at all. Uh, You can expect a part memoir and then a part expose on what has become really a multi billion dollar assisted reproductive technology industry. And yes, it is an industry and it's a broken industry. And I also have some suggested fixes. I share not only my journey of discovering deep truths about my genetics, but also my acquired knowledge from gosh, what was it, 22 years of research on the uh, scientific, legal, and then sociological history, and then the evolution and consequences of artificial insemination. And I looked at it from its early biblical references right through to the present day.
2: Well, you know, there, there comes a time in the life of uh, people who find out that they've been adopted, and they want to go back and find out who their parents are. Did that same sort of thing happen to you and and how is is your journey different than than theirs?
3: Uh, the journey is very similar actually. Uh, the um, the experts in quotes experts uh, believe that some two to four percent of us are misattributed. Uh, that's a word that I never heard until I started researching this. So I, knew other, <laughs> I knew other miswords. I knew misnomer, misconceived misunderstood, but never misattributed. Misattributed your DNA and your birth certificate just don't jive. Something doesn't add up. Uh, you're misattributed to one or or both parents, uh, and there is a variety of reasons that somebody could be misattributed. Late discovery, adoption, as you mentioned, is certainly one of them. Uh, you could be a product of an extramarital affair or a one-night stand, uh, an unreported sexual assault. You could have been switched to birth. You might have been raised by Aunt Martha and you, you thought, thought that she was mom, but Cousin Mary was really mom. Raised by another family member happens a lot, even today. Or you can be like me. In the old days, they call it semi-adopted, and that is uh, uh, conceived by an anonymous donor, an anonymous sperm or egg donor or even an embryo. Uh, in the old days, they call that semi-adopted. Um,
2: and in in your case, what were you able to find out, and um, and and how how anonymous is the parenting in this industry?
3: Uh, well, they uh, my my background story here: I was forty-nine years old. Uh, uh, CEO leading a high-tech company out of hot water, and my 75-year-old stroke-recovering mother spilled the beans that dad was not biological. He was sterile, and I was actually conceived via an anonymous sperm donor in the waning days of World War II with the help of Harvard Medical School. Now, for me, I was the same person. Nothing changed, but everything changed. Uh, It was a variety of confusing and conflicting emotions that are often experienced by other people that are misattributed as well. A lot of research has been done to state that some of those conflicting emotions are felt by uh, uh, whatever the reason is that you're misattributed. I felt deceived and relieved. I was angry and joyous. I was empty and fulfilled. I had a lot of grief, and then I felt exhilaration. I was happy and sad. I had shame and pride. How can you feel all these things all at the same time? it was uh it was traumatic. It was a uh, confusing experience of questioning who I was. And nothing had changed, but I wasn't who I thought I was
2: peter in his, in a situation like that, um, you referred to an anonymous sperm donor. Do they remain anonymous or are their records kept? Were you ever able to find out? Who contributed that part of your DNA? Uh,
3: I did find out, but it took me 22 years of research and 21st century DNA technology to, uh, to discover that. Really? Uh, and the, and there were no records kept. Uh, the doctors were uh, uh, encouraging no records. Uh, they swore the uh, secrecy on the uh, recipients, the parents,
2: How were these donations collected?
3: I mean, uh, there are sperm banks? Uh, Prior to frozen sperm and sperm banks, it was a live fire exercise with a uh, a donor volunteer, and sperm had a two-hour life life, uh, out of the body. So uh, logistical uh, issues were trying to uh, put live sperm into a live woman. Uh, While keeping anonymity.
2: Now you said this was um, like just in the in the aftermath of World War II. How new was this technology? How how frequent were these procedures done?
3: Uh, The first one was actually done uh, in a med school in 1884 under uh, under rather criminal circumstances. And that's one of the 10 top secrets of uh, assisted reproductive technology that I bring out in my book. Uh, Probably the number four on the list. The first one was that artificial insemination was actually perfected uh, on the farm uh, by an exiled mad scientist who history has nicknamed Red Frankenstein. Uh, Artificial insemination by a husband uh, was alleged in actually 1462 by a medieval king. And it was first documented by an 18th century physician of English royalty. But that very first artificial insemination by donor was a criminal act inside of a med school in 1884, Jefferson Hospital in Philadelphia. And church and state both drove artificial insemination by donor underground in a shroud of secrecy. Uh, and it emerged in the early 20th century, uh, actually with uh, a rather eugenics tone to its practice. Uh, By the mid-50s, frozen bull semen, if you can believe that, back on the farm, actually enabled today's wild west of gamut distribution, frozen sperm banks, frozen egg banks, frozen embryos. And then 21st century, Science is really obsolete it, it, in all of the practices and,
2: and and that's because they developed a lot of this technology for animal husbandry.
3: It started that way. It actually started on the farm uh, with the plants, uh, and then uh, animal husbandry. How can a sheep be bred to uh, pe more wool, uh, a cow to uh,
2: Peter build more I, milk, etc. Peter, I I have to take a short break here, but I want to talk to you some more about this book and about artificial insemination. Uh, Can you stick around for a few minutes? I sure can. Great. My guest is uh, Peter Bonney. He is the author of Uprooted. It is uh, Family Trauma, Unknown Origins, and the Secretive History of Artificial Insemination. We're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be right back. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R.
3: That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner
4: Program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs>
6: and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org.
4: Hi, I'm State Representative Sarah Anthony. Our community and communities across the country are seeing a rise in gun violence. Firearm injuries are one of the leading causes of death among children. Parents, it is your responsibility to know where your firearm is at all times. First, lock your gun away somewhere safe. Also, make sure that it is disassembled and unloaded. It's up to us to prevent gun violence in our community.
6: This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
2: Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation this hour about artificial insemination with the author of a memoir on the subject called uprooted family trauma unknown origins and the secret history of artificial insemination written by uh, my guest this morning Peter Bonney who joins me by phone hi Peter welcome back thanks for sticking around and sorry to make you sit through
3: all that not a problem Um, Peter we were uh,
2: just talking about the 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 process and and your backstory what you went through in the last segment um, about finding out that you were born as the result of artificial insemination, that uh, um, your your mother's husband, who would have been your father or was your father as you were growing up, was um, infertile. And so they went to what you referred to as, um, uh, what was the phrase you used, Peter? Um, she went to a fertility clinic. Yeah, for for um, what what was the phrase? Something assistance um, assisted
3: reproductive assist, technology.
2: That's what it was, and and I was trying to think of that uh, that phrase. Um, this is kind of a new subject to me, and 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 I find it fascinating. We've had lots of people who've gone back to find out who their birth parents were. Uh, after finding out they were adopted, but this is the first time we've addressed this this issue um, and and I suspect that there's a reason for that, that there aren't a lot of people talking about it and there probably aren't a lot of things written about it. How did you, how were you able to put together this book in, in terms of uh, research?
3: Well, in the old days, uh, in 1995 when I discovered this, uh, Tom, uh, I found no records or anything. My mother gave me a couple of hints, the name of the doctor, the location of the clinic, uh, and the affiliation with Harvard Medical School. Uh, but I really didn't find anything about the clinic or the doctor. Or, or, or But I did discover Harvard Medical School's uh, library of history, uh, the medical history. So I spent a good deal of time deep diving into the whole history of assisted reproductive technology. That was somewhat therapeutic for me since I couldn't find the uh, specific source of my seed. Uh, I just researched and used the old gumshoe methods. This was three years before the foundation of Google. Uh, The internet was in its infancy, and uh, it was another 12 years before 21st century DNA technology through 23andMe was actually available. So I did a huge deep dive of uh, research in the absence of finding my genetic origin or genetic health history or, or, any, or any siblings.
2: This, um, I, I can't help thinking, Peter, if, if I were in your shoes, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't avoid making the observation that a lot of people have gone to Harvard, but how many people have come from Harvard? But all kidding aside, was it Harvard because that was one of the few places that was doing this work at the time? Uh,
3: By 1945, at the time of my conception, uh, my history found about 100 practitioners around the world that considered themselves to be fertility specialists. Uh, it was a fairly new practice, but it was a practice. It started up uh, in the uh, beginning of the twentieth century, and it was very clandestine
2: and And how was it how how was it kept clandestine i it It seems like doctors working in the field would be crowing about their successes.
3: well, church and state really drove it underground uh, uh, the uh, Roman Catholic Church, the Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, other religious leaders all piled on to the notion that uh, the uh, artificial insemination by a donor was synonymous to an adulterous act and the child was illegitimate. Uh, The courts began to give credence to that, and uh, one court in Canada considered the child illegitimate, and granted a husband a divorce on the grounds of adultery. Uh, Other courts piled on to that, and when you set a legal precedent, it's a hard thing to overcome. So uh, country by country and state by state, uh, the laws were put forth to consider it adulterous and consider the child illegitimate. Actually, the month before my conception in Time magazine, I found an article in my research Uh, Entitled "Artificial Bastards," and it was questioning the legality of the legal uh, treatment of a donor-conceived child.
2: Well, yeah, I would think that people would raise the question that, for example, for citizenship, you have to be born in the United States, and and some people might argue that artificial insemination wasn't actually birth
3: uh i didn't get that far <laughs> and it was a resulting child could be a, a, a illegitimate child but it is a birth
2: it it just seems that that um it, do churches still have that same uh parochial view that that artificial insemination and uh, assisted reproductive uh, practices are playing god well,
3: the sociology is began to catch up with uh, the science and uh, certainly religious leaders have not uh, taken hold of the sociological changes. They still consider it uh, unethical, if you will. I have no issue with the uh, fertility practitioners that are trying to use science to enable people that want a family to have a family. Uh, my issue today is with the obsolete practices that basically enable the conception of uh, a child to have dozens, if not a hundred or more, half siblings without their knowledge. What are that, the? Go ahead. That, that's that's a fact today. That's just uh, unethical.
2: Where? What are the various um, types of? Uh, reproductive assistance are there. There's artificial insemination but isn't there um, something that's done f- for women who are not able to have children?
3: Well you have uh, you have uh, egg donors today as opposed to the only sperm donors and the eggs have been able to be banked and frozen. Uh, you have uh, is uh, a fertilized egg, uh, and you have surrogates uh, to be planted into a, another person to bear a child for a couple. So the technology has certainly advanced beyond just uh, live sperm to be uh, dabbed. Is there
2: any um, sense of of? How big an industry this is? How many, um, how many births each year result from reproductive assistance?
3: Yeah, that's a good question, Tom. Uh, the industry is a multi-billion dollar industry today and it has many segments. Uh, the whole services, the whole fertility, uh, medical practitioners is probably in the trillions. The uh, sperm banks today... Account for $3.5 billion in business, that's with a B, and that's anticipated to grow to $5 billion just in the next few years. Uh, certainly now you have uh, the egg, frozen egg banks uh, creating another billion dollar industry, uh, frozen embryos on top of that, another billion dollar industry. And then surrogacy is uh, sort of a cottage industry, but nonetheless a multi billion dollar industry as well. And uh, in uh, my research, I found that in Ukraine, uh, surrogate children is actually the largest export. You uh, conceive, it, have a birth a child for a couple, and you could feed your remote village for a year.
2: So it's a, a very expensive procedure to have done if you, um, you know, if a couple wants to, um, have children this way, it's it's very expensive?
3: It does cost uh, money. You have the services, you have the uh, uh, cost of the uh, gamut, and if you choose to, you have the cost of uh, uh, surrogacy to have somebody else carry your child.
2: And, and that isn't something that most people have covered in their health insurance plans, they have to come up uh, with this.
3: Some plan. insurance is, are beginning to take into consideration really? uh, infertility, and it's modest in re- its reimbursement, but it is beginning.
2: Interesting. Um, I- I- and is that because uh, the is, is legitimacy of reproductive assistance um, growing?
3: Well, it's an exceptional need, Tom. Uh, My research showed that even in the early days, uh, the estimate was that some 15% of couples had difficulty conceiving, and uh, 40% of the reasons were uh, the woman had a problem, Uh, 40% uh, the man had a fertility problem, and in 20% of the cases, they both had uh, mutual issues. Uh, But here today, we have a Another secret in the uh, fertility world of assisted reproductive technology, the fertility rates are estimated to be down some 50%. That's five zero percent in the last four decades. Really? While the, while the population of donor-conceived people is now up 50%, percent zero, uh, just in the last decade. So the last survey that was done was in 2010 where they estimated about a million people to be donor-conceived. Uh, and the other estimate was that 30 to 60,000 uh, people per year were being uh, born as a result of artificial insemination by donor. So if I just take the midpoint of that over the last decade and add it to the million survey of 2010, I come up with a million five or a 50% increase in the last decade. So fertility rates down 50 Donor conception, up
2: 50. Is, is there a direct correlation there, or does the math work that way?
3: Well, I think there is a direct correlation as well when it comes to fertility problems. Uh, the anticipation is that some environmental issues have created infertility over the years, and certainly we have uh, examples of people just waiting longer. Uh, to uh, conceive a family or to raise a family, and sometimes that clock ticks and they wait a little too long.
2: Is race or ethnicity a factor in these procedures?
3: Well, if they are a factor in the procedure, it's only a factor of what can you afford. It's more socioeconomic.
2: Um. What what I meant by that is, um, is is there are there efforts made by design to not mix races in the process of doing these procedures?
3: Uh, I can't speak to that. I know uh, I know circumstances where uh, uh, a biracial couple are infertile and they are trying to have a biracial child. Uh, so I, I just can't speak to that.
2: I just wondered if that was, um, you know, something that was. Well, it, it sounds like it is something that that is considered and talked about on a case-by-case basis.
3: Well, you know, these uh, these banks now operate like uh, Harrods or uh, Macy's or Nordstroms. They
7: have, <laughs>
3: uh, they, they have uh, cataloging uh, by uh, uh, appearance. Uh, hair color, uh, skin, uh, ethnicity, uh, education, uh, and it's the old eighty twenty rule. Is my uh, my uh, belief uh, you have eighty percent uh, uh, of, uh, of the inventory purchased by twenty percent of the, or the other way around, twenty percent of the inventory purchased by eighty percent of the people. And uh, you go to a store, and the most popular things: meat, bread, eggs, dairy, what have you. And then the other inventory purchased by eighty uh, percent of people.
2: It 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 seems, Peter, like um, the most we hear about things to do with artificial insemination um, often pop up when a woman delivers several children, quintuplets, uh, septuplets, um, and, and somehow it, it gives people the impression that um, by, by using one of these uh, uh, methods for reproductive uh, assistance, that somehow it's, it's going to automatically produce a litter
3: no, I think you're referring to the octomoms of the world, and this is where the uh, yeah. procedure will put in uh, several uh, uh, embryos, if you will, and, or several eggs in hopes of fertilization. Be- As opposed to uh, take a, uh, a uh, an egg cell, uh, in, a, in quotes, a test tube, uh, match it with a sperm cell, in quotes, a test tube, take an embryo and then plant that in the womb, which is uh, a one-off.
2: And, and is that the standard procedure?
3: That's, that is the standard IVF uh, procedure.
2: Under what conditions would it um, warrant planting multiple eggs in a womb? Because uh, of a history of uh, difficult uh, med- pregnancies uh, or something?
3: Medically, I think the science has advanced today and you're not... Reading about uh, all of these multiple births, where in the early days you were okay, I think the science has advanced. You don't read about octomom today.
2: I just I just wondered if the if the rationale at the time was because, you know, that that there were high chances, um, high odds of of an egg not surviving, so they put multiple eggs in in hopes of one surviving and then occasionally they all survive.
3: Uh, part of the old theory, but medical science continues to advance.
2: Well, it's, it's fascinating. Um, Peter, for a lot of people, um, sharing the fact that they were the result of artificial insemination would be something, would be like a closely guarded family secret. What made you want to share it with the world?
3: Well, it was a couple of things. First of all, no more secrets for me, all right? The secrets were very disruptive when I was a uh, uh, late-discovered donor-conceived person. I have nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, The more I researched this, the more I discovered uh, an industry that uh, was totally out of uh, uh, regulatory control. I have a friend that used to raise Rottweilers, and when I exposed him, Tom, to this whole thing, his conversation back to me was, "Gosh, you know, there's more regulatory oversight to breed puppies than there are to conceive human beings." Uh, so when I uh, when I uncovered the uh, multi-billion-dollar industry out of control, number one, uh, put it into the context of my own trauma, uh, number two. And then using 21st century technology was able to identify the source of my seed, number three. I just thought I had a story that I needed to tell. Uh, My goals for this book are uh, uh, several, but really I hope to impact the legislative agenda here to uh, put some um, regulatory oversight into this industry to disable disable the conception of a hundred or more Siblings from the single donor, without the knowledge of uh, any of that, any of the uh, siblings.
2: And does that happen intentionally, or is that just a harmful side effect of there not
3: being regulation? Well, if there's no regulation, then it is intentional. There are other countries that do do have regulation. Ah. Uh. Uh, we have uh, a, uh, a trade association that has certain guidelines. Uh, it's not law, it's a guideline. And even the guidelines are out of work. Let me give you an example. A, a guideline is that uh, we should restrict the conception to be uh, uh, 25 per 800,000 population for a single donor. Well, let, let's look at that. Uh, and, and some sperm banks or egg banks say that they follow that. Uh, that means that if I lived in Sacramento, I'd have 2,000 siblings. If I were in metropolitan Boston, I'd have 125 siblings. If I were in a more populated place, New York City or Los Angeles for instance, I'd have 250 siblings by following that guideline. Now that doesn't prevent a, a donor from going to another bank or a third bank or a fourth bank. So uh, if I have my Seed in four banks, and you're following that guideline. And I'm in New York City. I could have a thousand siblings. Do wow. the math.
2: It's it's that's amazing, um, Peter. We're getting close to the end of our time, and I always want to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and uh, and future. On this uh, on this subject, um, certainly the book is a great place to start. The book is called "Uprooted Family Trauma: Unknown Origins and the Secretive History of Artificial Insemination" by Peter Bonney. Um, Peter, where can people find out more? Do you have a website?
3: Yeah, thanks for the question, Tom. I do have a website. It's www. bonnie b o n i. dot com. And you'll find uh, the uh, description of the book, uh, links on purchase of the book, uh, my bio, and uh, my consulting practice, and also a second book, uh, my first book that I wrote, uh, on that website.
2: And and what's next, Peter? Do you have another uh, another book in the works, or are you getting the bug? Uh,
3: well, my uh, my objective now is to use this book as a platform to. Uh, impact the practice of uh, assisted reproductive technology positively as opposed to restrict it at all. I'm just trying to uh, make, make a difference here and speak to the well-being and uh, of, of all misattributed people that uh, go through the trauma of identity that I went through through this late discovering.
2: Well it's, it's fascinating and it goes on in bigger numbers than any of us would imagine um, until getting a chance to read your book and learn about uh, your experience and about the subject in general. Peter, thanks so much for spending this time with me and keep up the good work.
3: I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you, Tom. Thanks. All right, take care.
2: That was uh, Peter Bonney. The uh, memoir once again is called Uprooted: Family Trauma, Unknown Origins and the Secret Secretive History of artificial insemination. Coming up tomorrow on the show, we're going to have, uh, well, tomorrow's Wednesday, so it'll be Armchair Politics, the first one of the new year. Uh, We're going to start out in the first hour with economist Chris Douglas, and we'll talk a little bit about the economy, past, present, and future with Chris, and that'll be followed by Armchair Politics, and um, Jan Worth Nelson will be joining the roundtable. Again this week with uh, our roundtable regulars, uh, Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki on the left and longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right, Jan Worth Nelson, of course, the uh, consulting editor of East Village magazine. If you're listening to us on WFOV 92.1 LP-FM Flint, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. Lots more of the Tom Sumner program is still ahead. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue
7: Lions,
3: and you're listening
7: to the Tom Sumner program. This is our shot. Now it's up to you.
6: Yo. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again.
4: So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car. Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey. Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov robocalls. And Mom, Dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you.
0: Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor.
4: I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nussel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
0: Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program.
7: Mom always liked you best. You what you my mean? mom always liked my brother best and she never liked me. Mom and you, you and mom... Te- why do you keep telling me mom always likes you because best? Because she... Re- Every time you get mad, you say, mom always likes you best. Oh Yeah. <laughs> Well, Mom always liked you best, you and, and know? you always picked on me! You and Mom, my Mom and my brother get together and say, We don't like you! Because Mom liked you best you and know she why? never liked me! Wait a minute, do you know why she liked me best? She... Oh, oh... Would you like to know why she liked me best? Sure she liked me best, why not? I never knew mom liked you best <laughs> Your mom always used to pick on me That's now I remember Yeah, yeah I Mom did. liked you best and she never liked me You wanna know why? Why? Because I happen to be an only child <laughs> Touchy, touchy Touché, touché This just isn't your night, Tommy Your mom would... gave you a dog my mom gave my brother a dog, and I didn't get to have a dog, in more Everybody than Everybody had dogs. I didn't have a dog. You got to have a dog, and more than anything in the whole world, I wanted to have a dog of my own. I asked my mom, I said, Mom, I want to I have a dog like my brother Dickie Smothers. You remember me. I'm Tommy Smothers. <laughs> and I never got to all have right, a that dog, is, and I, you wouldn't let me play I, with your dog or anything. I remember when I was 10 years old, I said, oh, if I could only have a dog... My brother had a dog and I couldn't... I didn't get to play with your dog and you would always tell Mom when I play with your dog, Hey, Tommy's playing with my dog. You remember Tommy, the kid you don't like so much. (laughs) And I didn't get to play with a dog and I didn't have a dog. Hold it a minute. Before we go any further, you you know you had your own pet already. Crummy chicken. (laughs) You wanted it. It's no fun playing with a chicken. They don't bark good. You wanted it. Said, I didn't want that. You wanted to sell the eggs. It was a rooster. <laughs> and every Saturday my brother there with all the, all of his friends they get on their they all get up their dogs and they get their bicycles. And they, <laughs> I didn't have a bicycle either. <laughs> you had a bicycle! Now hold, it. Now, now hold it down hold it down You're just getting excited. She, you had a wagon, that was a good wagon. One wheel. What'd you do with the other wheels? Well, it was hard for the chicken to pull that one wheel wagon. Listen, you never liked me and you went on hikes and you, and... You know why you didn't get to go on hikes? You, you never had, would accept me, you No, know, you even had a dolly. A what? A dolly. My brother had a dolly. shut up. About my doll. You had that dolly. I remember you and your dolly. <laughs> I said, Mom, don't give me a dolly. <laughs> I I was always, I always liked my brother. Mom says, always like your brother. And I like my brother. We used to hang around and do things together. Every about once every three or four months, he'd say, Come on, Tom, let's go smoke some Crayolas. <laughs> I certainly did not say that. You did too! It. I did not. it stains your teeth. You isn't? go on hikes! That's right, we went on hikes because dogs and boys go on hikes. You can't take a chicken on a hike. Frank was a good hiker. Listen, all the guys knew Frank was the best hiking chicken in the block. The reason you couldn't go on a hike, you couldn't keep up. You in that crummy wagon. But you want to know the Fastest real Fastest one-wheel wagon around! All right, Tommy, We want to know the real reason? Is that it wasn't your place to go on a hike with us. It's we wonderful. liked you, we liked the chicken, but boys and dogs, they go on hikes together, they're buddies, you know? A little boy even sleeps with his dog. You've never realized the place for a boy in his chicken, chicken coop. You should have kept that crummy chicken in that chicken coop, Tom, and away from my dog. My uh, chicken killed his dog. <laughs>
0: another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
1: And go so well. So, why should I try to resist when, darling, I know so well? I've got. in my ear Don't you Oh, I begin now Hey, little darling, and said I got you I got you, I got you Oh, no, my My Before I begin now baby Cause I got you, I got you, I got ya Under my skin